that means this game is over. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs. McCaffrey's going to get it, and he walks in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Here's Birdie looking, firing in. Oh, caught. Ayuk, touchdown. And the ball came out. Ball is loose. Who's got it? Welcome to the Mixed Pick Sports Show. It is Friday, February 2nd, 2024. Let's say hi to Steve Mickelson from MixPicks.com. That's two K's in mix, two K's in picks. MixPicks.com. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. All right. Uh, here's what's uh, coming up if we can uh, jam it all in. Big move by the Baltimore Orioles. First, and I'm not talking about the, the sale. Uh, the Angelos uh, family are working on selling it. It looks like there's maybe a new culture in Baltimore. Uh, we got a weekend full of NBA games uh, and a, a breaking news-ish re- regarding LeBron James and a possible trade uh, from uh, the Lakers. And uh, this thing called the Pro Bowl uh, is this weekend as well. We'll spend very little time on that, but we will at least acknowledge its existence. I'm going to start with this email from Darren. Uh, you can email us anytime, rad at radradio.com, uh, and call us live at 888-989-9811. Darren says, Rob and Steve, I really enjoy your show. But I'm writing today about how impressive it is. You guys cram a lot into an hour, and you do so in a fun, entertaining way. Yesterday, two hours after you were done, NFL Live came on ESPN. And as I heard the roundtable of former players talk about Dan Quinn being hired by the Commanders, I suddenly had deja vu as they all parroted the exact points you guys had already made about how his most important hire will be his offensive coordinator. Although you guys did it better, and you did it first, which is pretty damn Impressive. Well, thank you. That's very nice. Um, it also comes on the heels of Dallas Cowboys star pass rusher Micah Parsons, who made his first public comments about the team's disappointing first-round playoff exit uh, during his Micah Parsons show. He described the whole thing as embarrassing and unacceptable uh, and went on to start to take some digs. And this was before uh, Dan Quinn had even left the Cowboys officially. Uh, he suggested that the Cowboys' defensive coaching staff failed to put him in the best position in the game, saying that we were outperformed and out-schemed. And, um, hey, look, yeah, Micah Parsons very outspoken. Uh, he's known for this. But there there was a lot of chatter yesterday, Steve, about what a thud hire Dan Quinn was for the Washington Commanders. People were kind of looking at it abstractly, saying, well, first of all, why didn't you hire the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick? We have our answers for that. But also just that that is – is an offensive, or I'm sorry, is a defensive guy, another defensive guy, what Washington needed. And, and what he's referring to is we harped on the fact that his most important hire is going to be an offensive coordinator. Be- because same thing in Baltimore for Mike McDonald. These are defensive guys who need great offensive coordinators. In Seattle, they got to figure out what they're doing with Geno Smith, if, if anything, uh, and or deal with uh, you know a, a young quarterback who they may hand the reins to. Washington's got the second pick. And you assume they're going to take a quarterback, and they have to have a hell of an offensive coordinator to make that work. And and I'm I still I, I'm still on that. I I'm less impressed if this is possible. Less impressed with the Dan Quinn hiring 24 hours later. Yeah, I, I can absolutely agree with you on that part. Looking at the Commanders, even if they don't go out and draft a quarterback, and say they find a way to trade down, that means they're committed to Sam Howell, who is also a young quarterback that they have to figure out how to continue to develop him. Yes, he threw for a lot of yards, but he threw for 21 interceptions. So he has a lot of room for improvement there. So bringing in an offensive coordinator isn't so much about schemes and all that other stuff. 
They have to find a way to develop him, coach him, teach him to be successful in the NFL. So that's a very important hire. And that's why you see a lot of these teams go with the offensive minded, you know, head coaches, because that's their background. They've had success at it. That's how they became a head coach. And looking at Seattle, Yes, Geno Smith is either quarterback or is he not? But even if he is, it's a short-term fix. So they know they're going to have to go into the draft and get a quarterback, at which point, again, good young quarterback, they have to develop. You have to see improvement from your quarterbacks. We saw Mac Jones in New England, and the problem with Mac Jones is he was better his rookie year with the Patriots than he was his third year with the Patriots or second year, whatever this last year was. If it wasn't his third year, it sure felt like it. But <laughs> he never showed any improvement at all. He actually regressed and became worse, which means the Patriots have to go again and go out and get another quarterback for that situation, which shows why it's not just the offensive schemes, but you have to develop that quarterback. And if you're going to do it, you want a person who has experience and has been successful. We talked to yesterday about the endless list throughout history of uh, absolutely talented coordinators on both sides of the ball who just just don't make good head coaches or successful head coaches. Norv Turner, the most famous one. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Kyle Shanahan has a chip on his shoulder because, quite honestly, he and Dan Quinn aren't that far apart. They both got to Super Bowls and lost. And to uh, to get to the the ultimate pinnacle, right? You have to. You have to win a Super Bowl to say, okay, no, you're 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 good at it. And one of the things we didn't touch on yesterday, earlier in the week, we because Jerry Jones made his proclamation that the Cowboys are all in next season. Like you, you would think every team should be all in. And we kind of talked about what exactly does that mean. Well, at the time, Dan Quinn was their defensive coordinator, even though we knew he was interviewing for jobs. But we didn't talk about the effect this has on the Cowboys. Because teams right now that are losing coordinators and need to find new ones – they're late in the game. You know, there's a lot of teams who knew weeks ago, all right, we're out, of, we're out, and now we can start trying to find the pieces of the puzzle. And the Cowboy Dan Quinn is a good defensive mind. He's a good defensive coordinator. I, I don't have a lot of faith in him as a head coach. I think he's going to go down in history in that category. But the Cowboys have, that have yet well, – no, we got to figure out Dak's contract, the things you already covered earlier in the week. And now they've got to – how does this affect, in your mind, the Dallas Cowboys uh, next season? Well, it would shock me if the Cowboys were caught flat-footed. We've known that Dan Quinn was interviewing for these jobs. You know the Cowboys had to have been sitting there and looking at various things. Hopefully they have a player, I mean a coach, sitting there on their staff that, look, if Quinn leaves, this is who we want to move up to that position. And the important part there is making sure that they are able to make that happen. The last thing you want is Dan Quinn coming in and then poaching that entire defensive coaching staff and bring you know bringing a few you know the db's coach or you know the linebackers coach or a couple of coaches off that unit with him to washington that would really hurt the cowboys but i have to believe they're somewhat prepared for this they have an idea of what direction they're going and honestly i would be more surprised than not if they just didn't end up promoting from within their organization to fill that position. We we had a a, a fun moment yesterday uh, with the kind of proves out you know men of a certain age I think because it didn't hit me until uh, two hours later when I was watching his press conference. We were talking about Jim Harbaugh, uh, new head coach of the the Chargers, and we had some uh, contract details. He's going to be the second highest paid coach in the league, right behind Sean Payton, sixteen million a year, five years. 
And uh, somebody wrote in, and uh, obviously of the same generational mindset, uh, and said, because uh, we were talking about, you know, I, I made the point, 16 million, okay, it's not like he needs the money. He's already worth a lot. He wants to win. He wants to be the fourth guy in history to get a national championship, Super Bowl. Guy wrote in and said, hey, $16 million, and I get to live in San Diego. Wouldn't that be great? And we laughed it off and kept going. And then, like, two hours later, when Jim Harbaugh is singing the praises of where the Chargers are actually located, I went, oh, yeah, that's right. They're not the San Diego Chargers. They're the Los Angeles Chargers. So I wanted to acknowledge that and say, we're not idiots. We just, I still call them the San Diego Chargers. I still call them the Redskins. I try not to, but I still do. It's just, that's how we grew up for, for so many decades. I'm asking, I wanted to ask you, Steve, because you're such an honest guy. Did you catch it and just not say anything? Or were you like me? Like, yeah, okay, that's funny. No, I caught it, but okay. look at Phillip Rivers. He, you know, he was the quarterback with the Chargers. They moved to L.A. He lived in San Diego. Yeah. He okay. hired a driver and drove him to and from. I think it, they said it was a two-and-a-half drive, hour drive each direction, and he would just sit in the back. He'd study film, and, you know, maybe Harbaugh's going to go that route. So I couldn't dismiss it entirely because we're already aware of a player who lived in San Diego while playing for the Los Angeles Chargers and, you know, maybe that's the route Harbaugh's going to go. Good. All right, good. That makes me feel better because because I felt like an idiot. And I thought, you know what? I'm sure Steve caught this and he was just too nice to, like, jump in and ruin the guy's, you know, point. But you're right. That's a great point. And, I mean, honestly, as a guy, uh, you know, a California born and raised guy, I lived in L.A. for a year, a lifetime ago. Uh, with uh, everything that's happened in L.A., yeah, I'd probably do the same thing, especially, again, if I had Harbaugh money. Let's live more like in La Jolla. Just helicopter me in. Um, I, I, he, I did – I watched – a good part of his press conference, um, and there were a couple of things that stood out. Look, he said what he's going to say. Of course, he's going to say we're going to win multiple titles. He talked about the toughness of the team, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, you know, there were a couple of things that really hit me. First of all, I, there was a moment where he, he, he was talking about people will say, have a nice day. And he said, have a nice day doesn't resonate with me. And he said something like, I say make it a great day. And I just love the attitude of this guy. And, and I, I started thinking as he was talking, he really is one of the few people who has won everywhere he's gone. Stanford, San Francisco, Michigan. I mean, he wins everywhere. He turns these programs around. And, and you can't usually say that. I mean, there, there's, there's people like Bel Belichick did not fare well before the Patriots. I mean, I, he... I don't know. Look, I know he's a great coach, but I, I really took a moment to think about it, Steve, about how successful this guy has been as a coach. I think it goes to his father, Jack, if you look at it. I mean, John Harbaugh has been every bit as successful, you know, every year, every where he's been as well. I think it's family upbringing. His father was a coach. He was successful. He embedded that into his sons. That's the what it's about. The, the good, we're going to play good, hard, physical football, but we're not going to accept, you know, just whatever happens to us. We need to take charge of what we're doing and how we're doing this. And as you said, I could say, have a nice day, <laughs> but it's the make it a nice day, which is taking that self-responsibility to ensure you are successful, not just waiting for things to happen to you. Be active. Go after it yourself. Speaking of uh, coaching and the coaching carousel, coordinators, uh, coordinators who maybe weren't the best coaches but are great coordinators, right to your hometown, Steve, uh, your current hometown, the, the Raiders are hiring Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator. Uh, Raiders coach Antonio Pierce uh, has joked he wants a minimum 24 points per game out of a new offensive coordinator. Kingsbury coached the Cardinals from 2019 
2022 and spent last fall working with USC's Caleb Williams. Uh, we don't have a full, you know, body of work on Kingsbury, but he, when he got when he got the Cardinals job, he was, you know, the hot young offensive-minded coordinator. Um, good hire for the Raiders. I, I like the hire. I don't think they have anything to lose here. He does have a great offensive mind. But with any offensive coordinator and head coach, you got to get the quarterback right. Aiden O'Connell, I was glad that they gave him a lot of time to play. There was moments that he was good. Uh, but overall, I think he's more of a backup quarterback. I don't see him as a starter long-term in the NFL. So to me, the Raiders have to figure out what they're going to do at that position. We hear a lot of rumblings on Russell Wilson getting traded to the Raiders. Yeah. But look at that contract that sits there. I mean, no one's taken on that contract unless Denver's willing to eat, you know, 80% of the money that no one's going to give up anything for Russell Wilson. And even if you cut him, you know, Denver's on the hook, then you would look at something, but then how much is Russell Wilson looking to make? Is he then saying, look, I'm getting paid by the Broncos. So I will settle for 20 million a year. Or is he going to say, look, I've already got that money in the bank. I still want 45, 50 million a year. And I just don't see anybody giving it to him at this point in his career. And that the whole genesis of that story comes out of the writing on the wall, the way the Broncos ended the season uh, with uh, Sean Payton basically benching Russell Wilson for the last two games or whatever. Do you give, do you, cause nobody says yes to this, Steve. So we'll see if you do, do you, do you give any chance that, that, Peyton moves forward with Russell Wilson because his basically sports media says he Russell Wilson is not going to be a Bronco next year. I don't see how they can. I think that relationship is more than fractured. I think it's entirely broken. We saw that with Russell Wilson coming out and said, look, they approached me dur during the bye week and told me I was going to go to the bench unless I was willing to take less money. So that was kind of Denver making their stance. Look, this is what we're asking from you. And Russell Wilson didn't balk. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, you can bench me. You can do whatever you want. So I just don't see how they fully reestablish that relationship. I can see Denver going into training camp because they couldn't get rid of him. Look, you're on a roster. We're going to see. Uh, but to me, it starts bringing out bad chemistry. I, I think you're going to have a team that's really divided. And I think it hurts the Broncos if they continue to allow that fester within the clubhouse because you're going to have X amount of players that are on Russell Wilson's side saying, he is our best quarterback. He should be playing. That's what football's about. Play your best. And you're going to have, you know, the coaching staff and the management going, look, you know, we're, yes, we're paying him but we're making a stance. We really don't want him on the team. We don't feel he's good for the team and the chemistry. So it, it it's going to really divide that locker room. And to me, cut him, just let him go. If, if you can't trade him before the draft, if you get through the draft, you still have him. just let him go, eat the money. And, uh, you know, swallow that sandwich. And when we get into a, yeah, and we know what kind of sandwich it is, uh, when we get into like March-ish when free agency starts, we'll really start breaking down uh, where people might land and, and all of the intricacies of it because, you know, we'll be we'll be starving for content. Uh, but uh, the, the speaking of where quarterbacks will play next year, uh, we were halfway through this season and uh, guys like you and me were saying Jordan Love of the Packers, uh, he's a backup quarterback at best and even the general manager of of the Packers uh, came out uh, uh Brian Gutenkust or whatever he pronounces it remember he made that public proclamation I I don't know who our quarterback's going to be in there is the exact opposite of any type of boost of confidence basically saying 
yeah, Jordan's not our guy. And then, of course, Jordan Love goes six and two, uh, and we all go, whoa, there's something to this kid and how things have changed yesterday. Uh, General Manager Brian, uh, here it is, Gutenkunst, I can't get it right, says, um, yeah, uh, we are not going to let Jordan play next year with an expiring contract because his contract would end at the end of the 2024 season. He's going to begin talks with Love's agents who sign an extension. They can't do it until May, but then get the talks done. What a turnaround in Green Bay. Absolutely. You know, and I was critical of Jordan Love the first half of the season as well. You know, I wanted to see the Packers open up the offense. Let's see what he could do. You know, get a little more creative on offense. They ran a really conservative offense. But then when we watched him, you know, take the training wheels off the second half, this guy exploded. So I have to give Matt LaFleur credit because he came along slowly and took the criticism from people out there saying, you know, let him open it up. Let's see what he could do. And he did a terrific job in developing him. I'm still not sold that, you know, Jordan Love is an elite quarterback in the league, but the way he played that second half of the season, you know, he is on his way. And, uh, you know, I would just caution the Packers to be a little bit cautious there in that contract. I'm not making him, you know, one of the highest paid quarterbacks. I think you got to make him comfortable in that, 35 to $40 million range, but I wouldn't go crazy quite at this point. I'd give him a shorter contract. Look, I need you to prove it for me for another year, and then at that point we can see what's happening. By the way, I want to thank um, Jeremy, who just emailed in, rad at radradio.com, and I've confirmed he is correct. There are reports, nothing confirmed, that uh, the Washington Commanders are signing Cowboys secondary coach Joe Hwitt as the new defensive coordinator, and this, of course, that would be the – the uh, the the uh, the guy under Dan Quinn, so Quinn's bringing with him. If this this all happens, uh, he was the uh, secondary coach, uh, and he would be the the new offensive coordinator for. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for defensive coordinator for Dan Quinn. So he was the secondary coach. Now he'd be the defensive coordinator. So the the first thing I think of not knowing anything about Joe Witt is the further degradation of the Cowboys. This might have been who the Cowboys wanted to promote to defensive coordinator, and Dan Quinn might take him with him. Absolutely. And that's what we were just talking about is the Cowboys, you know, should have been prepared for this and maybe he wasn't their choice. And that's why they allowed him, you know, to become the defensive coordinator in Washington. But if that's who their choice was and they allowed him to walk also, you know, as you said, this is really hurting that Cowboys defense. And now at this point, you know, where are you going to go? You're going to try to bring, Monty Kiffin back from the dead and put him in there. Uh, you know, you'd be reaching, but uh, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go, but I have to believe teams, every team in the NFL is prepared and has a plan on the direction they're going to make. And to me, that just tells me the DB's coach was not going to be the defensive coordinator. So that's the reason they, he ended up going to Washington. See, I want to create a different story just because it's more juicy. I want to believe that Witt knew he could he could have the Cowboys job if he wanted it, but he chose to go with Dan Quinn. And what does that say about what's going on in Dallas? See, I want to make that the story because it's so much more juicy. I want that to come out as the truth. It, it, it absolutely is. And then you're sitting there saying that reflects on McCarthy on, look, this is his last year. I know if I go with Quinn, I should have three years in Washington. 
you know, to get the job done. <laughs> but if I stay here, McCarthy's gone at the end of the year. He's bringing in Belichick or someone like that. And then he knows he possibly is out of a job. So taking your angle is very interesting. <laughs> Again, though, I just like to believe that these professional teams know what they're doing. They have their pulse on their coaching staff and their players, and they're making the best decisions for the organization. For those of you screaming, you're 25 minutes into the show and you haven't mentioned the Super Bowl. Sorry, we got a whole week next week. Uh, so, but we will get to this. Of course, one of the many things that's going to get talked about endlessly for the next eight days is Brock Purdy, quarterback for the 49ers. Uh, it, it, a lot of people are impressed with Mr. Irrelevant. And there's a lot of people that say he's just a game manager. And one guy who has been banging that drum since the beginning is Cam Newton. And he is not letting up on his criticism of uh, 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy on his podcast. Cam Newton, who has always called him a game manager, not a game changer, says that for Purdy to earn the game changer label, he has to be the best offensive player on his team, which he says he's not. Uh, Cam Newton says that would be Christian McCaffrey. I'm not going to take issue with that. Not at this moment. I, we've talked about this, Steve. Christian McCaffrey goes down in any way, shape, or form. The Niners change fundamentally as a team. You said at the beginning of this whole thing, hey, look, if it's if it's got to be Sam Donald uh, as quarterback, as long as McCaffrey and everybody else is in there, you still believe the Niners could pull things off. That's not what I take issue with with Cam Newton. He goes on to say that, at best, Brock Purdy is the 10th best player on the 49ers. He didn't list who the other nine were, or the other eight, I guess, after McCaffrey. I started to try to make a list and get into Cam's head, but I thought that was a little over-the-top, unfair, and uh, maybe green with envy sort of situation. Oh, I think there's a lot of uh, jealousy in that sense. You know, Cam Newton had a success. He took the Panthers to the Super Bowl. He knows what it's like. I think he's just having a hard time. The fact that he's not playing in the NFL, he's sitting there. I have to believe that he believes he is a starting quarterback in the NFL right now. And he doesn't have the opportunity. He's looking at Brock Purdy saying, this guy has nowhere near the athletic ability that I have. I should be playing, not him. You know, I'm sure he feels that he would have the 49ers in the Super Bowl as well. And they'd be even better. But the truth about it is, is, you know, Brock Purdy is a really good quarterback. He's intelligent. And yes, he's a game manager in a sense, but I think he's much, much more than that. I think he's able to read defenses. He's very well educated in the game of football. He knows what he's looking at in film. And I'm tired of everybody continuing to slam him because he doesn't have the physical tools of a Josh Allen, et cetera. Look, Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. No one's ever going to say that Drew Brees had Josh Allen's talent or anything like that, and he still was a Hall of Fame quarterback. So Brock Purdy, extremely intelligent, just like Drew Brees. He's still learning. This is his second year in the league. He doesn't make mistakes. He has a high completion, low interception rate. Let's see here. That was Drew Brees, high completions, low interceptions, and as he figures out the league more and more, it would not surprise me if he turned into a Drew Brees-type quarterback. Is Cam Newton going to slam Drew Brees? I don't believe so. I think it's just Cam Newton 
upset that he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL and he's sitting on the outside and he really wishes he was playing in this game. So he's got to bash Brock Purdy. It's a pro bowl weekend. Uh, I have never been a fan of the pro bowl ever. I think it's the worst of these games. I think baseball does it better than anybody with the all-star game. Uh, and, and, but, but I will say they've changed it entirely. I mean, the pro bowl used to be, nobody showed up, especially anybody from the two super bowl teams. Cause they didn't want to get hurt. The players didn't try. It was an exhibition game. Uh, it was a silly waste of time. I never watched it. Now they've gone a completely different direction. Second year in a row, it's going to be a bunch of skills competitions. Uh, they're doing a tug of war, uh, <laughs> closest to the pin, golf accuracy. They're going to play Madden, and they play flag football. Steve, I doubt I'll watch, but I will say I, I don't know what else the NFL could do other than cancel the game, and they can't cancel the game because you got to have all pro selections. I mean, that's my initial take. I... I, I it's all about player safety in the NFL. What else, what else are they going to do? In other words, I still think it's a waste of time, but I don't know what the NFL could do better. I don't think they can do anything better. It's one of those, you, you know, when it was in Hawaii, it was all about the family vacations to Hawaii, which is why all the players wanted to go. They really weren't going for the game. They were going for that paid vacation. I, I, you know, the skills competitions are always interesting. I, I will tell you that I haven't watched the football Pro Bowl in many, many, many years. Yeah. I didn't even care to watch it when I was a kid because, you know, back then the Pro Bowl was after the Super Bowl. So none of the players that played in the Super Bowl even participated because they wanted the break because they just finished. And then you take the teams that were, you know, didn't make the playoffs. They hadn't played in six weeks. How are they going to go out in full contact and play a football game when they haven't been practicing, they haven't been playing? You're going to ask them to pick it up with six weeks off. That's not fair. And, and again, the injury part is a huge factor. D to me, I don't have a problem with the skills. Hey, let's go see what they can yeah, do. That's fine. You know, Baker Mayfield won the passing skills competition last night in the finals, but it doesn't mean anything. The only other thing they can do is cancel it, but they have to have it because there's so many contracts tied into it with bonuses for making the Pro Bowl team, making the All-Pro team, et cetera, that you have to have it because contracts pay bonuses on things like this. Big move in Major League Baseball. Big non-move that hasn't happened yet. A weekend full of NBA action. Kings play twice. Uh, and uh, an update on Joel Embiid's uh, injury after this. Knicks Picks. The Mix Picks Sports Show. Call the Mix Pick Sports Show at 888-989-9811. You can email us, rad at radradio.com. Getting a few in real time here. We're talking about Cam Newton saying that Brock Purdy's the 10th best player on uh, the 49ers. And uh, Jeff thinks we nailed it with our evaluation. Says, I'm so sick of Cam Newton. He's washed up. He had two to three good years. He was a run-first quarterback. He never could win with his arm. And if I'm not mistaken, he threw more interceptions and touchdowns his last two years in the league. You nailed it. He's jealous and trying to cut down a guy who is on the rise. Uh, Eric wrote in and said, Cam Newton may have been more physically gifted than Brock Purdy, but I'm sure Brock would die for a fumble right in front of him in the Super Bowl. <laughs> nice reference. No doubt. 
Uh, okay, we got this from Michelle. This is your account, Steve. Uh, we were talking yesterday about the Oakland A's moving to Las Vegas. That was part of the conversation of your retirement plan of uh, just being an usher at all of the four major sporting teams because they will put an NBA team there probably right around the time you retire or a little bit before. And uh, that way you get to see every game for free and uh, live out your dream of, uh, of being a sports uh, usher. We were, so the, the Las Vegas A's, if you will. Um, so Michelle wrote in, I don't think I heard you mention it yet, but I read that they are tearing down the Tropicana and building the A's new park and resort. I was wondering if you knew and or if that may or may not be true. I remember we were talking about the A's leaving. They were talking about various sites and things. You're right there in Las Vegas, Steve. Uh, where, where did they land on that? Well, the Tropicana is closing, I believe it's April 2nd of this year. So they've already informed everyone that that will be their last day. And they're going to bulldoze it and build a stadium there. The plans for the stadium have not been finalized and approved as of yet. But you got to believe if if the Tropicana has already announced an official closing date that it's going to happen. It'll be right there on the strip. Wow. I'm hoping they make the ballpark a little bit bigger. I was disappointed to hear 30,000. You know, I would like to have heard more like 38,000, you know, a little closer to the 40 than the 30. I get the not wanting to go too big because one, there's no parking. Two, you're going to have, you know, all the out-of-towners are going to come to the game. It'll be a lot like the Raiders, which is a wonderful experience. So I'm excited about it. And yes, I cannot wait to be an usher at the A's as well, but I still will be a Boston Red Sox fan. <laughs> I'm just going to see all the other teams play too. And we've already declared Las Vegas the sports capital of the world. But they're, 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 you're, you are just in the in ground zero right there, Steve. That's amazing. Uh, speaking of baseball, so uh, earlier this week, the big news, well, News for some of us is how I phrased it. Uh, the Angelos family selling the Baltimore Orioles because for decades, guys like you and me, Steve, we equated the Angelos family to the Orioles. They never got to got them to the World Series. Uh, but uh, the son has taken over for Peter, and uh, he's just not really a baseball guy, and so they're selling the team. But now they're in the process of that whole thing. Everybody's talking about a culture change right away in Baltimore after – the the world was a little shocked yesterday. Huge trade. The Orioles have acquired Cy Young winner Corbin Burns from the Brewers as they come off the Orioles' 101-win season, and they've got what, what they certainly one of the things the Orioles needed to, to go further last year, a front-line starter. Burns has a 2.94 ERA in 93 starts over the last three years. He won the Cy Young in 2021 and a lot of people say th that this is a changer because while he has a, he's a free agent after 2024 usually that would mean he's a rental but with the new uh, investment group coming in and this is that guy that wanted to buy every team they could figure he tried for the nationals he tried for the commanders i think it was he got the orioles they're saying see we're showing you right away we're committed fan baltimore fans yeah i absolutely believe the new ownership had a voice in this saying look you know, go out and do this. Corbin Burns and his agent have to be ecstatic because you got to believe that they're not going to come with a nice size contract for you. The Orioles great season last year, won 101 games, you know, fizzled in the playoffs. But one of the areas they really need to improve on was the starting rotation. They had a great bullpen last year until some injuries hit later on in the season. But adding Corbin Burns, one of the top pitchers in the game, to that rotation is going to make the Orioles a lot better. The Yankees got to be a little bit nervous here because I think the Yankees thought that that was their division to lose. The Blue Jays have been trying to get some, you know, starting pitching to improve with that offense they have. And now the Orioles, 
For me, though, it just spells a little bad news for the Red Sox and the Rays because I just don't see either of those teams competing with those top three teams. I'm glad you brought up the Yankees because it leads me into the the other big name pitcher uh, who who. Well, I mean, not the other one. I mean, the, the the Burns thing was a trade. Blake Snell remains unsigned. And uh, there's been so many twists to this story, including a new one. The, the first thing was he was – he's everybody was talking to him. We know the Giants were talking to him. We know that the, the Phillies were talking to him. He, uh, he won the 2018 Cy Young winner. He started 32 games for the San Diego Padres last year, posted a 14-9 and record with a 2.25 ERA. Lots of people want Snell. He went through all of these teams uh, talking. Scott Boros is his agent, which some people say has to do with, with the reason why. In the end, only the Yankees even offered them a, him a contract. None of the other teams wanted anything to do with him. And now this morning, the word is the Yankees are done. All because, according to all the reporting, Snell is asking for the world financially and the teams, and this you, this really says something about Major League Baseball, a, a, a league where they just gave Shohei Otani more money than anybody thought he was going to get given his current situation, that, that even the Yankees, the only team to offer him one, are now saying, forget it, screw you. I know some people are saying it's because Snell's 31, but does this story surprise you as much as it does me, or am I, am I missing out on something? No, it, it doesn't surprise okay. me at all. I, I will tell you that... I was hoping that a team, you know, the Red Sox would not even be in consideration for Blake Snell. I think he's been too inconsistent. Yes, we all know he can strike hitters out, but he also walks a lot of batters. He has not sat down and proven to be an elite pitcher, you know, for every single year. He continues to be inconsistent. And I have to believe he's asking for Garrett Cole type of money. He's got to be looking for that 35 to 40 million a year. I just don't think he's worth it. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that other teams are balking at that price. I don't know what it is. Now, would I be looking at Blake Snell for $20 million a year in that range, 20 to 23 Absolutely. But if he's looking north of 30 I just can't see it because, to me, he has never brought the consistency year in and year out that you need to lock up a person longer term at that kind of money. I, I and I mean, uh I do I do respect Scott Boros. I know he gets a bad rap in a lot of areas. At some point though, you gotta look at your guy and say, game over, man. You've got nowhere to go. Not at this price. I, I mean, this is it. Bl Blake Snell now has to blink. You, you would think so, or maybe he's hoping that you know a pitcher goes down here or there and a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers yeah. say, look. We're going to bring you on, you know, and do a Trevor Bauer type of contract for three years for $45 million or something like that. You know, we want you right now. We don't want to have you long term. So we're going to give you that higher annual salary immediately in the short term so we can get you in. And then you can figure it out when that contract expires. So I wouldn't be surprised if he signs like a one year $40 million contract or something like that. But, you know, he's got to be looking, I believe, north of $300 million. You know, are you really settling for 40 if you believe you should be getting $300 million plus? Uh, let's jump from baseball to basketball. We got an update. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid, we know now, suffered a lateral meniscus injury in his left knee. Uh, that was in the game uh, Tuesday with the Warriors. Uh, a very ominous report from the Sixers. He's out all weekend while they explore treatment options. Uh, the Sixers still won last night, but they have been very shaky. 
they're in a fifth right now, and not knowing how long Embiid's going to be out, this has to continue to scare Sixer fans. Yeah, if you're a Sixers fan, your season entirely rests on the health of Joel Embiid. If he's out, you know, it's it's sad because to me he was excuse me, he was the league MVP. Uh he's been had such an outstanding season. You got to argue argue he's one of the three best players in the NBA. And uh this is a devastating blow, but the fact that they're saying they're exploring options of what they're going to do mm. to me, isn't a day to day or a, you know, Hey, he's going to be out a week. They're determining are, is he going to have surgery or is he going to rest to get better? Um, either way you look at it, I, I think it's, it's devastating to Sixer fans and I'm not sure if he comes back. I, I would have to believe he's out at least another month at this point. From the file of this is why we play the games, we were here yesterday talking about how the Lakers are just not a good team. They're just not. And, and of course, stories are stories because LeBron James and, and oh, my God, they're on this road trip. And the, the ne next two up are the Celtics, the best in the East, and the Knicks who are, doing, uh, who are having a phenomenal season. And then the Lakers go out and they beat Boston in Boston. I love this game, Steve. I love sports so much for things like this. But that's why we play the game. I mean, on paper, the Celtics should have rolled the Lakers. But, you know, you have to be able to play. You, the, the Sixers shot 26 free throws compared to only seven for the Celtics. They shot over, I think they shot 52, 53%, you know, from the three-point land. The Celtics shot 33%. So when you're shooting a whole bunch more free throws and you're shooting over 50% from the three-point line, any team in the NBA is going to have a really good night. And last night it was the Lakers turn. And it was great to see because both LeBron was out and Anthony Davis were out. So you went into that game saying the Lakers have zero chance at all, but their bench stepped up and they contributed. They played great basketball. And that's one of the things I love about sports is that's why we have to play the game and don't just sit back and look at the statistics and, well, this is what should happen. And, you know, that's what's going to happen. Because if that was the case, it'd be boring. We want to see games like this, that the underdog upsets the giant and uh, beats them at their own game, especially on their own floor. The breaking news I alluded to at the start of the show involving LeBron James is no news, if you believe it. Uh, LeBron apparently tweeted out an hourglass emoji on his Twitter X account. He has not spoken to anybody about it since, but that sent the flames a roaring because uh, people have to guess. When there's a vacuum, we fill things up. So his agent, Rich Paul, went on ESPN this morning to make it clear that LeBron will not be traded. He is not asking to be traded, uh, and that he did not comment on knowing what the hourglass is. There are games this weekend. The Kings are going to play twice. We will talk about that. And we got some emails here. RAD at radradio.com coming up. Mix Picks, the Mix Pick Sports Show. Let's go! The Mix Pick Sports Show. Got a hot take? Email us at rad at radradio.com. Uh, Steve, you're going to love this email. If you go back to our very first uh, show, uh, we, we had a description of what we wanted this show to sound like. And then we get this email uh, just a few minutes ago from Cam, who says, Hey, Rob, I wanted to give you and Steve a bravo. Your sports show has been a breath of fresh air. It's casual. Makes me feel like I'm hanging with my buddies at a barbecue just talking sports. Your show quickly went into my sports rotation. Thanks for what you guys do. Bingo. Oh, that that's awesome to hear because that's what we were looking at. You know, there's a lot of shows out there and they slam people, etc. Our whole goal was 
you know, we're just sitting around at the bar, having a couple of drinks, watching some games and, and talking about what's going on in the sports world. We'll, we'll slam people when necessary, but everything about sports doesn't have to be angry and loud, except the cheering. Um, Steve has uh, texted me. Breaking news. I promise we'll get to basketball, and we will. Uh, I am reading this on the fly. We were talking earlier this week about the NCAA, about uh, name, image, likeness, uh, various things. Uh, will teams go away from the NCAA? Things going on in various leagues. The SEC and the Big Ten are creating a joint advisory group of university presidents, chancellors, and athletic directors to address the significant issues facing college athletics they just announced earlier today. Uh, quote, these challenges including but not limited to recent court decisions pending litigation, a patchwork of state laws and complex governance proposals, compel the two conferences to take a leadership role in developing solutions for a sustainable future of college sports. That translates to you how, Steve? Well, this is what we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that college football is going to end up breaking away from college football. Yep. To me, this is the first step. You know, the NCAA has had all the say on everything. Now we have the top two conferences in college athletics forming an advisory board for between the presidents, the athletic directors, et cetera. You can't tell me that these two conferences are one, not going to have more influence on what the NCAA, the direction that they take and the things that they do. And you got to believe with this advisory role, if they don't believe in, in the direction the NCAA is going, there's going to be, discussions down the road on well if we don't agree with it they're taking the wrong step what are we going to do about it but i love to see this because i i believe the conferences <laughs> should have more power to me the ncaa has had more power but you have to have a governing body that oversees it i get that i understand the necessity for the ncaa i'm just hoping that this is more of a checks and balances now because the athletic directors, the presidents know what's going on and hopefully they can hold the NCAA a little bit more accountable and clear up the murkiness that we get with the NIL deals. What's legal, what's not. We see Tennessee now, you know, suing and going after the NCAA because of the rulings that they feel are unjustly being applied to their college university so to me, this is the first step to seeing college sports, you know, continuing to change and hopefully in the right direction. File this under the heading of what else is he going to say? SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says that the formation of the advisory board doesn't represent a move towards a breakaway from the NCAA. Nothing to see here. His quote is, from our perspective, we have a lot that's linked to the NCAA. We want to see a healthy national organization. I think that's very much a need. But he added that pressure is mounting. And conversations are needed about, quote, what might a path forward mean for college sports? And the Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petiti, echoed the same thing. Well, of course that's not what we're doing. Oh. Uh, in, uh, in the NBA back there, Steve, uh, the Kings uh, play at Indiana tonight. They play tomorrow night at Chicago, continuing their road trip. Tough loss to Miami. Uh, how do you feel about the, the Kings over the weekend? Yeah, I think this is going to be an exciting game. The Pacers did play last night, but both of these teams can score. They don't play the most defense. Uh, right now, the Kings are a three-point favorite on the road. I believe the over and under is 248, which when you get into old schoolers like myself, you know, I remember back in the days when we'd see 180s, 190s for NBA totals. But 248.5, I think both teams are going to score at will in this game. It's good to see them 
I believe both teams are going to be fully healthy in this game. And hopefully the Pacers won't sit anybody because they're on the second game of a back-to-back. And I'm hoping the Kings don't sit anybody either because they're on the front end of that. But this should be an exciting game, and uh, hopefully the Kings can get a win. As I was scrolling through all the games this weekend, it was because of the Lakers-Celtics result last night that the game tomorrow jumped out at me. uh, I mean, can the Lakers do it again? Can they go into New York? and beat the Knicks and really make us all start going, oh, wait a minute, maybe the Lakers are a good team. You know, I'd love to I, – I think the Lakers would like to say that, but the Knicks are playing so well. I mean, Julius Randle went down with a separated shoulder like a week ago, and this team just doesn't seem to miss a beat. They continue winning, continue to play great basketball. I think they out-rebounded their opponents uh, in their last game like 60-44 to 44. Um, so they're a big team, the offensive boards. Uh, so the, the Knicks are going to be a tough team to beat if you don't have some size in that middle. We got 10 games tonight, six games tomorrow, nine games Sunday. Was there, when you, when you just glanced over it, was there any matchup that you went, Ooh, either from a betting perspective or a fan perspective and, Oh, that's the one I'm, I got to make sure I watch. Uh, no, I, I'm yeah. not a, you know, I need to watch any particular game or team. I like to obviously watch the best games, but I like to watch all the teams. I want to see the Spurs and the Grizzlies and, (laughs) you know, and some of these bad teams play just as much as I want to see the Celtics, you know, and say the Nuggets. And I actually enjoy watching the smaller teams because I learn a little bit more. You know, the big teams are on TV all the time. You see enough of their games. I don't get a chance to see the smaller teams play as much. So when I get an opportunity, I love to watch this, watch them play as well. One of the things, it was that nice email from Cam about, it sounds like we're just at a barbecue with our buddies talking sports. Uh, one of the other things we really do try to do is be completely transparent. Uh, and uh, this, this is a good moment for it. Now, Logan, I, I, we will get to your other questions as we get closer to uh, other things uh, down the road, which will make sense when I read it. He emailed in rad at radradio.com. He says, how much do Steve or Rob follow college basketball? Full disclosure, I'm terrible at it. I, I, I'm barely, barely getting into college football the last five years or so. I don't, I don't have a college, I, and I always, I always kind of had a rough time with college sports because the players are constantly coming and, and going, and, and it was just, it's been hard for me. And, and this is going to be an education process for me because March Madness is obviously, it's right there with the Super Bowl uh, in terms of sports betting and, and all of that. But Steve, you even said to me earlier in, in the, in the year or in the season, whatever. You were you were slow on the uptake with college basketball. How do you do it? Do you like do you as as March Madness approaches? Do you dive into it? Yes, I, I love college basketball, but I liked it a lot more when we didn't have the one and done it. If I could change one rule in college basketball, that would be what it was because I loved watching the players develop and play together. You know, for several years in college, but there's just so many sports going on. I am not the biggest college basketball fan until we start hitting after the Super Bowl. You know, I'm aware of what's going on. I watch some games here and there, but you give me a choice right now between watching a college hoop game on TV or watching an NBA game on TV. I'm going to watch the NBA game on TV. So I pick up college after the Super Bowl. I love the conference tournaments. And then I love March Madness. March Madness is actually my favorite time of year uh, because I that tournament is just so much fun to watch, you know, from the opening game all the way through the finals. But 
for me to sit there and tell you, look, I'm totally caught up to date on it. it it's not the case. My son-in-law is a huge college basketball fan, so he keeps me up to date and <laughs> fills me in on bits of information here and there on what's going on with the college basketball world. So between that, you know, I can hold my own, but uh, I'm not really not watching a ton of college basketball. Kind of one of those things where, like, if, if you gave me the choice of college basketball or uh, watching this weekend's AT&T Pebble Beach uh, tournament, I would always lean towards the latter for a variety of reasons. I have played Pebble Beach. I've been blessed to play it a half dozen times. It is such a gorgeous course. I've played them all Spyglass and Spanish Bay. Um, and uh, being from California, loving Monterey, uh, got married to my wife down in the Monterey area. Um, part of it is just the scenery, the spectacle of it. There's a lot of people that are disappointed this year. I think they're more the tertiary fans uh, of the of the game. It used, this used to be the one where Bill Murray and Ray Romano were clowning around and barely taking anything seriously. Uh, but it's it's it is different this year because the AT&T has become a PGA Tour signature event and they've changed it all there's no more there's no more of this clowning around no more celebrities other than athletes uh like tom brady will be there alex smith uh larry fitzgerald buster posey pal gasol uh or, and a lot of this has to do with the threat from live golf um but the big thing if you are any sort of golf fan is that the the, the number the, the top 20 in the world most of them are playing jordan spieth victor hovland scotty scheffler the world's number one mcelroy's there justin rose tommy fleetwood Jason Day. I turned it on yesterday, Steve, because I just love the scenery, the memories. It it is it is not ruined at all for me that they've they've made it more of a of a golf event. It's a it's it's a visual spectacle, um, and I, I, I this is one of those things I can watch on mute because you don't need to hear golf announcers. I know the game. I play the game. And 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 the visuals are beautiful. It's just it's it's something that I know it's not overly popular, and there's people that are split on getting rid of the celebrities. I I I'm just I love it. I really do. And I understand that it is such a beautiful course. I do fall on the other end of that. You know, this one and the celebrity tournament up in Tahoe are two of my favorite yeah. tournaments because I, I like to see the celebrities. I like to see them interact with you know the others. I understand the PGA's part of. Look, we need to make it more of a PGA event and a tour event, you know, not just a pro-am of let's play with a bunch of people and celebrities and, and you know, have that part. So I understand the position that the PGA is taking on it. And for the PGA, I believe that's the right call. Yeah. But as a fan, you know, I don't watch every single week of the tournaments. I watch the majors and I watch, used to watch the, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, you know, and the Tahoe Celebrity Tournament. Those were the two others I would watch because I like to see the other athletes, the celebrities all interact and see that true side of them. You know, yes, they're on the cameras, but they're kind of not. And they're playing with the best golfers in the world. And I would love if this led to an Edgewood type thing at Pebble Beach where they could expand something like that, where it is all celebrities and athletes and, and things like that. Uh, either way, Steve, have a great uh, weekend. Enjoy not watching this, the Pro Bowl. I'll be doing the same. And uh, we'll talk on Monday morning at 10 a.m. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Mix.